I think than um, anybody I can put a name to to promote our sport. The archer who owns all the world records, John Demmer III. You know, the more difficult a thing is, the more important the mental game becomes. I, I didn't eat any supper yet either. How about you guys? Do you guys eat yet? I didn't eat Oh, that. you know, uh, I have some crunch berries. Grayson oh, Parlo. It's like me taking three or four years off your eyes just because I weakened that prescription in the shooting eye. And don't put everything into my shot that I should. That I get a lot of drop on those heavy arrows. He's dropping all the way down into the sixth. And he said, well, you might want to think about going to a lighter arrow and spring walking. And that's what got that started. This was such a great episode. Episode 42 with Rich Barker. Barker episodes, part two. Um, yes, I'm sitting at the firehouse right now and then I'm recording the podcast here. So we get a brief tour of my fire department. Um, this was so informative and is going to help so many people. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for you all to hear it. But before you do that, you have a fee to pay and we talk about it every episode. I'm sorry, but it's, it's, a, it's a small price to pay. That's just the scanner in the background. It's to share this episode. If this episode helps you, if this is going to help someone else, if you enjoyed it, if you thought it was funny, doesn't matter, whatever. Share the episode. Share the episode. That does more for Barebow than me spouting off sponsors. And to be honest with you, it helps our sponsors more too. Because all their information is in the show comments anyway. And you all know who they are and they're mentioned in writing in the video. So share the episode. Um, that's it. Enjoy this episode. See ya. There's a, uh, a working structure fire. You'll hear the radio in the background. There's a working structure fire in Pottsville uh, with entrapment. There was a reported entrapment on the second floor, but I don't think they've confirmed the entrapment yet. But it was a, like a legitimate fire. And what happens when we're around during the day, um, they hit um, a second or a third alarm, and that bumps up other departments. So, you know, like there's all these people come to the call and then other people get dispatched or put on standby to come and help, you know, and then it just gets like further away from the city than other companies move in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so this will be, this is actually episode 42 of the Barebow Project. For those of you who are watching, um, thank you for watching. Those of you who are listening, thank you for listening. Um, a little bit of a different setting for me today. Um, I was talking about it a little bit. I am at my firehouse. There's a major call going on in the city, a little bit north of me. And um, this podcast recording could get interrupted at any given moment because it's a major call with a, a working structure fire with reported entrapment. So if we get dispatched, this might get interrupted. Um, but I'm hanging out at my firehouse. You can see it's more like a frat house. See our wonderful Christmas tree and all of the pictures 
on the wall, big screen. Nice. Yeah, it's like a frat house more than anything because we're, you know, volunteer fire departments don't have um, income is different. So some places have halls and some places have bars, you know, and stuff like that. And we don't have that, um, believe it or not. We we are a 100% dry fire company. And, um, you know, so we took the approach of making a place where our members can hang out and, you know, play Xbox and PS2, PS3, PS5, whatever, you know, stuff like that to make it more appealing to like the younger generation type deal. So it looks comfortable. Oh man, this place is great. I love it. I love it. It's nice to be able to like to be able to come up and do my, my regular job Move a little bit closer. You know, you know, Frank, I think your shirt matches that couch over your left shoulder. You know, Rich, you would recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of does. I could go sit in there. It'd be like, uh, it's like flannel camouflage or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm recording from the firehouse today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we are continuing the Barker episodes. This is number two. And, you know, we kind of got through the start of your barebow career. Um, you know, I think we got up to the point of basically, okay, you're shooting the classic. Um, and I don't know how far we'll get into this, uh, Rich, but we kind of got to that point of you're, you're getting ready. You're going to shoot the classic for the first, first time or second time? when you won in 18 that was my third actually third. that was your third time okay so we're all right so let's go let's talk a little bit about year one year two and then the, what changes you made from year one to year three to prepare for it and if we get to the point where we can talk post classic and how things you know went we will but how about we go from there okay uh year one was 2016 and uh, that was early in my Barabow career. I had just uh, started in the previous fall shooting Barabow with that uh, when and when riser I had. And um, I recall uh, it being my first Barabow tournament. I think it was at Lancaster Host Resort. It wasn't at the uh, current location. Yes, correct. Yes, that was, that was a packed place. Yeah. 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 I mean, and my wife was attending that year and she sat in the bleachers behind, I think they were bleachers behind us. Yeah. And um, I was, I remember that. <laughs> I had the honor of shooting with my very first Lancaster archery tournament, classic tournament with Calvin Smock. Oh man. He was, yeah, he was shooting with me on my target, but, and what a fun time that was. Uh, we instantly hit it off and had a good time shooting together. And he was very uh, supportive. You know, he was very generous with his support and saying, oh, great shot and great end and all that stuff. And mm. um, I recall I was shooting aluminum arrows. And I recall um, I was grouping very well. But the groups were around 4 o'clock at the 8-7 line somewhere in that area around four o'clock or five o'clock but consistent i mean all the arrows packed together and there i just couldn't get them moved into the yellow there and i remember calvin making a statement that wow he could just move those arrows into the yellow he could be killing it 
And, uh, but we had a good time. And then uh, I think there were around 40 something shooters that year. And uh, I think the top 16 qualified and I qualified, but uh, I think I shot on a Friday morning, but that Friday night, um, if I recall correctly, in terms of the day of the week, um, there was about two feet of snow. And they went right from the qualification round to the shoot-ups, to the top four archers, and skipped the elimination round. So my first year shooting the tournament, um, I didn't get a chance to shoot in the elimination round. I was ready to get out there on the road with my truck <laughs> and try to get there, but uh, my, my wife thought I was crazy. But um, nevertheless, it was canceled. I think uh, the complex canceled the Saturday shooting. So no one shot on Saturday. Everybody shot on Sunday, and uh, and it was it was the top four. Um, and then in 2017, uh, I made the cut again. I think there were a few more archers that year, and uh, I recall. Uh, I think my first match was against Rick Stonebreaker. And um, I won that one. And then the second, this is the elimination round I'm talking about. Um, the second one was against, I believe if I recall correctly, it was Ben Rogers and uh, I got eliminated. Uh, so that was 2017. And then in 2018, uh, the year I won, I qualified 14th and uh, shot my way up to the fourth position go out on the uh, on the stage uh so the uh elimination round was uh my first tournament was against uh my first match or whatever you want to call it was against uh gentian zoto mm -hmm. from canada mm -hmm. very nice man and uh he's from canada yeah, yeah i said that and uh you know, it was just, it's just a pleasure to meet people oh, yeah. and compete with them. And, and, uh, he's such a nice man. And so, um, we were pretty close, you know, in, in terms of, uh, scores, uh, but I got through it and he congratulated me and, uh, told me he was rooting for me from that point forward and, uh, for that day. And then, uh, my next match was against John Dillinger. And uh, our scores, you know, Gentian and I, were, we were low to mid-20s on the ends. You know, uh, not great, but uh, sometimes he just seemed to shoot with, you know, close to the same. Now, oftentimes, as matches go, your scores are real close. And yeah. so I knew against Dillinger, I was going to have to raise my game a little bit. And I did, I succeeded in doing so. And now I'm shooting, you know, averaging nine points an arrow, uh, 27s, 28s. Uh, and uh, my very first inning against John Dillinger, I, I won that first stand. And John's, I remember his reaction was, oh, okay, well, you got the first one. <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm sure he had a lot of confidence in himself with his ability. and. Uh, then I, uh, I think I won, you know, three out of four or something like that. Uh, and it really, I, I, the feeling I got from that experience was that John was completely surprised and didn't see that coming. 
And I guess that was sort of the theme of the day was I took a lot of people by surprise that day. And after getting by John, which was, it was a tight match. I mean, it, when I beat him on any particular end, it was like 28 to 27 right. or 29 to 28, or he might've won one, you know, 28 to 27 or 27 to 26. I don't know what, but I don't remember exactly, but um, they were, it was really close and it was pretty high level. And then we got through that and, um, uh, my next one up was uh, Ken Rainus, Rainus, and uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know very much about uh, Genton Zoto's game nor Ken Rainus's game, but I knew that John Dellinger was going to be tough competition. So he was kind of on my radar. I realized, you know, going into it that I was going to meet up with him if I got through the first round, and um, so after I got past John Dillinger, I went up against Ken Rainus. And I don't think either one of us showed up to our capabilities. Um, my scores were a little bit lower against him and he, he was, you know, we were neck and neck, but I got past him also, but it was, we were both nervous, I remember that. And he, uh, he's tall, he's a tall guy and he's left-handed. So it's two tall guys <laughs> face to face uh, competing against each other. Um, and it, uh, you know, it was relatively close, not as high scoring as it was, uh, John Dillinger and I, but, uh, it was still relatively close. And, uh, I got through that and next thing you know, I had a two hour layoff to wait for the stage. That's awesome. So I had lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, smart, smart yeah. move. absolutely smart move. You get lunch, get some water, use the bathroom, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, I had lunch with a friend of mine, uh, Brian Farrell. Uh, Brian, yeah, yeah. Brian. Barabo Archer uh, shoots over at Stowe and uh, great guy. And um, we sat in the uh, restaurant there and I had uh, some pasta to get the, you know, get the carbs going. Yep, yep, absolutely. Try to help boost the uh, adrenaline a little bit and um, had, uh, you know, Nice lunch together. He treated, uh, which I still owe him for. He won't let me pay him back. That's what he. Uh, <laughs> That's Brian. <laughs> and then I, uh, I found a, a nice, comfy chair in the lobby, and I just pulled my hat over my eyes and slouched down and and sort of halfway napped and yeah. waited for the warm ups to begin. So, so before we get into those matches, can we? Because uh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. Everybody knows the outcome, but let's. Can you just uh, talk to the difference in what or changes you may have made in preparation from two thousand fifteen, no sixteen to seventeen to eighteen like things that you may have done differently, things that you changed, things that you did in preparation for that 2018 classic that maybe you didn't do years prior, stuff like that. Um, equipment wise, I, uh, over time, uh, you know, made some upgrades. Um, shot uh, a pretty light bow for indoors. I think it was around 36 pounds on my fingertips. Um, 
I uh, upgraded the grip to a Jaeger grip on the riser. Um, I switched, you know, this is over between 2016 and 2018, switched from aluminum arrows to carbon arrows, sticking with a fat diameter. Uh, so I started with X7s, then I switched from X7s to X23s, and then from X23s to fat boys. And uh, worked a little bit with, uh, you know, some, I was learning. I really didn't start learning Barbo until the fall of 2015. And uh, so one of the things that I did was um, uh, maybe switch my hook a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that um, Sean Snyder over at Lancaster Archery showed me that he knew of some archers doing was uh, when you hit your crawl, I would turn my fingers counterclockwise. And what that does for me is it lines up my fingertips uh, with the string. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at the crease in the leather on the tab, at, at the top, where the uh, leather meets the, the aluminum plate, the crease is right against the plate. But at the bottom, it's about an inch and a half, roughly, oh, yeah. away from the plate. I'm going at a diagonal across the sure. leather. And um, so I was doing that. And another thing that uh, Sean um, showed me was uh, the feather the cock feather on the arrow lining that up so that it's uh horizontal pointing on the at nine o'clock it i had that touching my nose as a third anchor point so these are like small changes that occurred over that time frame and then the one of the big changes was switching from aluminum arrows to carbon arrows and shooting the fat boys yeah. and uh, other than that, uh, you know. How about like training or preparation? Did you change any volume? Did you just continue shooting regularly? Did you add anything in or, or anything like that? Yeah, I increased the volume considerably um, in the winter of 2017 to 2018. Okay. Uh, I was shooting a lot of the, uh, there's a, a league in Pennsylvania called the Penn Dutch League. Yeah. And uh, which is a number of different um, clubs, uh, mostly Lancaster County and Dauphin County out near Harrisburg, the state capital. And, um, uh, and they have these um, invitationals, indoor invitationals. And I was going around shooting those uh, clubs uh, with a friend of mine, Scott Rissinger. Do you know Scott? I absolutely do very well. Scott, Scott is a level four um, previous international coach. Yeah. Olympic recurve and for those of you who Scott is a is a um I think he's an international competitor too if I remember correctly but he's been in the men's recurve shoot ups and brackets multiple multiple times mm -hmm. yeah he's a high level coach and and Olympic recurve shooter and he helped me out a lot during those years from 2016 to 2017 getting me off the ground shooting those um, invitationals together in the Penn Dutch League. Uh -huh. And he helped 
a lot with release and tuning and, and things like that. So um, that was definitely um, clutch in, in my development. And then in terms of my practice routine, uh, you know, I started incorporating things like um, blank bailing and draw holds and, and that sort of stuff. Um, okay. You know, being a little bit more technical with my training. But another thing that was happening at the time was I was working and um, I was working in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, which from my home in the Coatesville area, it's about a 45 to 50 minute drive uh, directly there if I go, um, you know, at the early stages of the rush, morning rush hour. Yeah. And I was practicing at a club I belonged to in Ephrata, the Ephrata Bowman, which is out in Lancaster County. Mm -hmm. And that's 35, 40 minutes in the opposite direction. So we're talking about my training. Uh, the only time of the day that I could count on being available to shoot and train was in the morning because of the nature of my work. I could, I could work until all hours of the evening. You know, it wasn't a five o'clock stop. It was oftentimes working six, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, depending on, you know, how, what our workload was like and that sort of thing. So um, I had an arrangement with my company uh, in Plymouth meeting, Pennsylvania, uh, to, that allowed me to practice in the morning and show up for work at nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Uh, they were very cooperative, um, very generous with me in that regard. And oftentimes there were morning meetings at nine o'clock and I would walk in just in time for that morning meeting. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so I was driving 40 minutes west from my house to, uh, in the coastal area to Ephrata. And I would get up at like four o'clock in the morning and work out. And uh, mainly uh you know some cardiovascular exercise bike yeah. and some uh stretching to keep my muscles limber and uh set up some push-ups and then i would get a shower get dressed in my business casual and uh drive out to africa and i'd get there like clockwork at 20 after six in the morning and sign in and practice until 10 of eight an hour and a half and uh, leave at 10 minutes of eight and get to drive all the way from Ephrata to Plymouth meeting about an hour and 10 minutes, get there at nine o'clock and start my work day and then repeat the next day. So were you doing this five days a week? I was doing this five or six days a week. Sometimes I'd go in on Saturday, sometimes I wouldn't, but I always took Sundays off. But uh, So I, I want to... I just want to interject to those that are listening and watching this. That's when we talk about like, you know, people are always, you and I have talked about it, like with the coaching side, people, they want to get better, but then there's people who are like, man, I really want to compete. I want to compete at a high level. I want to be a champion stuff like that. Listen, everyone, that right there is the dedication that it takes. Like when you want something, you will go to no end to accomplish it. I don't think, most people don't understand the commitment that it takes to, to do that. And how long did you do that for, roughly? I did that uh, from the moment it started getting a little too cool to shoot outside 
Well, actually, I, I needed to uh, shoot inside for the for the lighting also, you know, I mean, I, I can, what I'm referring to is I can practice in my backyard, right. but once the fall hits, you know, once the, the hours get shorter, temperature drops, you kind of transition to inside anyway. Yeah. So I would, I would say sometime in probably, you know, early October through spring, I was doing that every day. So you know, every that, that you're doing that prior to the classic. So October, November, December. Yeah. So there's there's four months of four months of indoor every day just in just prior to the classic. Like I said, I you know, and you're doing a combination of drills and stuff like that, which which is awesome to hear. Um so that's and that's a big change. That was a significant change from previous years or or not? Yes. That was a significant change. I was I was really driven at that point. Um in 2017, I think I mentioned previously that um I was trying to make the 2018 US archery team. Yes, that's right. And um, so that, you know, things like that can propel you a little bit to, to work harder. Um, and that also is you have to try to get the enjoyment out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you anyway, know, my recommendation, like you're just saying, Frank, is, is to shoot, 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 practice, 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 and persevere. Uh, sometimes you won't want to go practice and if you push yourself a little bit and go practice you'll be glad you did you know persevere and another thing is you know every practice day isn't the same some days you just feel so inspired you're shooting well and you can't wait to get back to the line after you pull your arrows and you do it all over again and other days you're just not having a good day and sometimes it's better you know, especially if you have distractions that are distraction, distracting you from your focus. So there might be something happening at the office that day that I really need to concentrate on. And uh, I'm concerned about getting started with or getting back to what have you. And uh, so th there may be days like that where I just can't get that off my mind. And I have to come to realize that as I'm practicing that, you know what, there's just something distracting me. It's not going well today. And I cut it short, cut practice short and get on the road and get to the office. You know? Yeah. And, you know, that carries over to us all year long in the regular tournaments and especially the classic. Um, Dick Tone talks about um, about settling your affairs, like making sure like if you have things going on that you can sort of wipe off your plate. Exactly. That it's it's a huge benefit to kind of keep your let your brain. I call it organizing your brain. You can organize your brain so you don't have to worry about that stuff, you know, but yes. it happened during training too. Absolutely. I mean, that's so on point. I mean, getting your affairs in order is, is a huge thing because everything's taken care of. It gives you freedom to focus on what you enjoy doing, you know, and, and not have whatever else is going on in your life distracting you. And that's what I would say to, students you know young people that are trying to bring their game up you know get, get your schooling right get your grades in order and right and um, everything else um, so uh that's what i did i mean i was really driven then yeah. to uh to work hard at it and uh worked out for me yes it did yes it did you uh so do you want to do you want to finish how your shoot ups i mean i've 
I, so the other day I shot against you, or, you know, I, I texted you. I was like, I beat you, but then you got me in the last, um, I, I, I'll shoot the actual shoot ups, um, on my big screen at my range. It's like a 10 foot wide by 14 foot high screen. Uh, that's above our bales and the projectors on it and I'll go through the shoot ups off the clock, you know, and I texted you, I was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. and then I got to the end and you beat me anyway. <laughs> It was, I ran out of steam. Um, I mean, it's not the same as, as, the, as the real deal, but it's just, you know, it's fun and it's good practice. But um, yeah, so you, you really kind of, I think you only had one really close match. Um, but why don't, you, why don't you run through those? Why don't you run through your matches and, and just talk about like, you know, maybe how you organized your thoughts going through those matches? Uh, well, you know, it starts out backstage in the practice area and they try to duplicate the lighting on stage in the practice area. Yeah. And, um, uh, so I was fourth, uh, the first one out. And so I was the first one up to practice and, um, there's a couple of gentlemen from Lancaster Archery there that were, um, keeping uh, an eye on things. And I was uh, not shooting very well, uh, seemingly surrounding the, the yellow, you know, just to hit anywhere on the clock, 12, six, three or nine in the red, but I was not hitting the yellow very well. Yeah. I was thinking, oh boy, I, I gotta get out there and I gotta make sure that, that I somehow show that I, somehow deserved to be there you know and uh and then bobby worthington steps up and he starts practicing and he's you know knocking the crap out of the center of the target and and uh i want to keep going but they said my time was up and i had to stop and bobby worthington's still shooting and i'm nervous you know i'm nervous as all get out but um i knew it was close to time to, to walk out and I wanted to peek around the curtain and the guys from Lancaster Archery were saying, well, aren't you going to grab your bow? <laughs> Cause I was walking out just to peek and uh, they, they were laughing about it. And uh, I said, well, I'm, all right, yeah, I'll go grab my bow. And I grabbed my bow and walked out there. And, um, you know, Bobby Worthington came out and uh, he chose the left side and I took the right side and he chose to let me shoot first, which worked for me because I just wanted to get it over with. And my thoughts were just show the folks that are watching this that I deserve to be there. Just put on some kind of a show that puts the arrows somewhere in the vicinity of the center of the target. Um, and I don't know how I got through Bobby, I somehow I did. I know I had um, on the second end, I think something like that. I shot a four. Yeah, I remember just, that. Yeah. Just finally had one of those uh, bare bow moments there where it just got away from me. And, um, and I think somewhere along the line shooting against Bobby, I had my first 11. Yep. And, um, you know, at, at some point, 
you feel like you're beginning to feel it a little bit. You know, you, you feel like you're beginning to figure it out that this is how I need to hold because I wasn't about to try to adjust my plunger or anything like that or, or worry about my string blur. I was just trying to look at a sight picture that worked for me. And um, Bobby didn't shoot his best against me. You know, I mean, I, I've seen Bobby shoot lights out and he wasn't exactly his himself. And so I was just very fortunate to get through him, you know, to survive that. But once I did, then I started to um, started to get into the kind of a groove, if you will, that I could find while I'm practicing. You know, all those early mornings at the Effort of Bowman uh, Archery Club practicing started to work for me and I could just get into a full uh, extension, you know, that transfer to hold, getting into that full extension and just bringing it up and it comes right up where it's supposed to be. And uh, for me, it was a little bit off center. It wasn't, I liked a, a six o'clock hold with the figure eight or the snowman or whatever you want to call it, where you have the point of the arrow just underneath the yellow, you know, the yellow, yellow dot sitting right on top of your arrow point. That's the side picture I like. And I couldn't use that there. I had to be a little bit over at five o'clock or so, a little bit to the right. And, um, but I figured it out. And then once I shot against Dwayne Martin, who was next up, uh, you know, I, I had to raise my game uh, to stay alive. Uh, you know, not that I didn't have to have a high level, sh you know, shot for Bobby. It's just that neither one of us, you know, we were both going through the first and, you know, the first, the jitters of being on the stage, being under the lights in front of the camera and getting used to the lighting. And, and uh, somehow I came out ahead, but against Dwayne, I knew I, I had to just keep getting better as I went along or else I wasn't going to stay out there any longer. And all I was really trying to do was stay within my own game, not worry about who I was shooting against, um, just try to keep improving my game and shoot to the level that I'd seen myself shoot at uh, in practice. And um, so it's more of a, you know, you're fighting against yourself. It's a mental game that you're playing. And uh, so things improved against uh, Dwayne Martin and I survived, survived him. And he still tells me to this day that, you know, next time around, it's not gonna work out that way for me, <laughs> which I appreciate. I like that competitive spirit. And, um, uh, so, you know, the rest is kind of history. Next up was uh, the man, as they say, Mr. Demmer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was a new show at that point with him coming out on stage and uh, his, you know, Bobby, you know, all three of those guys, they're, they're unique in their own way. You know, Bobby is very much looks traditional with his, his leather quiver and his hat and his yeah. plaid shirt, you know, he, he just looks, he fits the part. And Dwayne comes out wearing his USA archery jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he looks formidable the way he's looking. And uh, then John comes out and he's got the Superman shirt and the board shorts and the fancy shoes. And uh, so it was, for me, it was just like, I'm gonna 
enjoy this moment you know at this point i'm i can't believe i've made it that far yeah and uh, i'm just enjoying the moment um and have a fierce compare to, to shoot against and somehow uh i just started to feel it more and more you know it just kept progressing it didn't go backwards at all i just kept that match that match you caught fire like you were shooting well i'm going to take a quick break here and i'm going to tell you guys a couple of things one the link tree on our instagram and facebook and everywhere has access to our online store has access to all of the coaching opportunities, the private lessons, stuff like that. The link for the advanced barebow seminar coming up in January with me and Demer. Um, everything that you need to know about the barebow project is in our link tree. So you should go check that out. If you're looking for coaching, if you're looking for help, the private lessons, the forum eval, anything, go check that out. Um, link tree will be in the comments for the show and as always make sure you look at our voicemail link and call in leave a question um you know talk to us about what's going on and we'll try to produce a show around what you guys need and want to talk about um in the, the voicemail link the call in link so that's in the link tree also but at any rate thanks for watching thus far and enjoy the rest of this episode Um, hold on a second, Rich. We're we moved to a new location. I'm actually in the uh, this is the this is the office where all the magic happens. Not really, this is the office where all the reporting's done. 45 and 55. You can I'll turn that down. See our our history on the wall there behind me and stuff like that. Let me turn the radio down here. So, we were talking about um, you hitting that stride um coming up against mr demmer <clears throat> and you know the other i think the other thing to mention is do you at this point so do you feel like having that opportunity to come out there first actually helped you absolutely absolutely i was very fortunate to have like i said i was fortunate to get past bobby worthington and um 
you know, the score was nothing to get too excited about. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that match against Bobby helped me get everything in alignment in terms of, um, you know, that side picture. And uh, it started to improve with uh, the match against Dwayne Martin. Uh, I shot, you know, I think six points better than I did the match against Bobby Worthington. And, uh, you know, I put a few more tens up there, maybe an 11 or, or two. And I, I just started to, like I said, that sight picture I needed to have to uh, put the arrow in the middle of target. I, I was acquiring that as I went along. So being out there for those matches ahead of John definitely helped. And I would not have wanted to be switch places, to be honest with you, with John to come out cold you know maybe not cold but come out and have to be on the money right from the very get-go you know yeah. i had an opportunity to improve my shooting as i went along and and john had to come out and, and fire away right from the beginning so there is a difference there and, and i acknowledge that uh, so yeah by the time john came out i was feeling pretty good about my shot and um I felt like if I did everything right, it was going in the middle of the target. And uh, it was just a matter of, you know, just staying mentally focused. And, and uh, I was able to do that somehow. I was able to just stay mentally focused and, and not concern myself. To be honest with you, I, I, I wasn't keeping score even. I, I was looking at arrow placement and that was it. Uh, matter of fact, I did, this is going to sound either funny or it might sound typical of me, but that big screen above the targets, Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know it was there. Yeah. And uh, it took me an end to look down and realize that there was a, a flat screen at my feet that I could see my arrow placement with. And uh, another funny thing is um i didn't realize it at the time but i had cataracts in both of my eyes oh boy yeah and uh so uh i could see uh, the target well enough to shoot obviously um but uh i found out later when i was looking for uh, people in the uh, you know not in the audience but actually before the uh elimination round when I was shooting the qualification round on Friday, yeah. I was look. I shot the morning round, and the afternoon people had come in, and I was looking for people that day, and I couldn't find them, and uh, I couldn't make out faces, and that's when I realized that I needed to go see my optometrist again and see what's going on with my prescription, yeah. and that's when I found out I had cataracts. Um, so, uh, but anyway, getting back to uh, the environment, um, I just, I did not keep score. That helped to not have to keep score. Absolutely. And all I did was look down at the flat screen at my feet to check my arrow placement and understand how I was tending, you know, am I tending to shoot left, am I tending to shoot lower, what have you, you know, and, and make adjustments accordingly with my sight picture. I don't think that people also realize the value in what you just said. 
not worrying about the score, completely ignoring it, almost ignoring it. I mean, other than paying attention, oh yeah, I won the match. I won, you know, I won the, that match or I'm, you know, well, in that situation, that's not set points. So it's cumulative score. So even like you really, it's actually make, that might, that makes it a little bit harder, I guess, because you have to ignore the fact that whether you are ahead or behind and just shoot your arrows. Um, it's a little bit easier in a match set because like, you know, say you shoot a bad end, that person's winning two nothing in a match system. And then you, you, you know, you have, you kind of get a reset. You get, a, you get to go back to, yeah, they're winning by two, but I can win this one. Yeah. And, and it's down to just the, so, you know, it's just those three arrows, you know, whereas it's a classic with the shoot up, it's cumulative score. And, you know, if you have like one bad end, that could almost be the whole thing. Now, mm -hmm. you know, Rob coined the phrase barebow close, but, you know, you, you, you get too wild and crazy stuff can happen, you know? So, but anyway, all right. So yeah, you, um, you were just kind of ignoring ignoring what was happening you got used to being up there you hit a groove where you know you knew exactly what you needed to do to drop that arrow in the middle and that's all that you were thinking about at that point in time so exactly uh, you know that's that in and of itself is that's i mean in not so many terms like that's exactly what i teach in the seminars and stuff and, and try to kind of frame the shot process and the mental approach so that you're capable of doing that. Um, for in your instance, it was like three years in the making, right? It's mm -hmm. a three-year journey at that point yeah. to develop that ability to ignore the bad stuff, pay only attention to the stuff that you need and shoot your shot. Yeah, you know, um, there's a a commercial on television uh this actually came just came to mind for the first time um uh, but there's a commercial on television i think it's um maybe a, a call center to to call to help help uh, people who have a drug habit or something get over their habit if i recall correctly but it, there's a commercial where there's a, a young man walking a crossing a street in a city and he encounters himself and ends up wrestling himself and comes out the victor and continues crossing the street. And it's, it's a commercial to help people get over whatever their addiction is. And this sounds like an unusual analogy, but basically when you're practicing um, and you're trying to improve your craft and you're trying to improve your game, you're wrestling with yourself. You know, you're, it's, it's a mental game that you have to learn to, um, uh, not be negative, to be, to be positive, to not accuse yourself of a bad shot, but allow yourself to have something to improve upon and to have an okay shot, you know? So if you read the, the you know, the mental approach to archery, like, you know, with winning in mind by Bassam and, uh, I think USA Archery even recommends a, a, a golfing book. Uh, golf is not a game of perfect. Um, but, you know, so I, I read all those books and um, I, I knew that I needed to coach myself and stay positive. And there were days when I practiced 
and uh, I would start kicking myself for not doing what I knew I needed to do to execute a good shot. And, uh, and then I would have to figure out how to work through that without being negative about it. And uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a process and you really have to, you have to be driven you have to want it, and uh, you really need to shoot a lot. I, I would highly recommend making uh, practice a, a frequent occurrence. Um, and so for me, I even asked someone one time, uh, Brian Brady over at uh, the Lancaster Archery Academy, if he practices every day. This is while I was learning, you know, and he said, no, he takes a day off. He thinks it's important to take a day off. And I read Jay Kaminsky's book, and he said he takes Mondays off, I think, from his routine because it's normally a travel day. So, um, so I was willing and ready to practice every day if that's what it took, but I didn't need to. I needed to practice. I needed to take a rest every so often, you know. So, but I was driven. I just wanted it. I just wanted it. So, I wanted to improve my game, and I wanted to um, go out there and compete. So it was up at four o'clock in the morning, working out, getting a shower, getting into my business casual, driving 40 minutes in the opposite direction, 35, 40 minutes in the opposite direction, practicing for an hour and a half, getting on the turnpike, driving all the way from Ephrata to Plymouth meeting on the turnpike, an hour and 10 minutes, and walking into the office and putting a 10, 12 hour day at the office and coming back the next day and repeating it all over again, just to bring my game up to a higher level, you know? And um, so 2018 was a good year for me. I won the classic, won the gold in the um, uh, master's uh, class, Fairville division, uh, indoor uh, nationals, uh, a bronze in the field nationals and uh, a gold again in the target nationals in the master class. And uh, it all, you know, th that, dedication to practicing continued beyond the indoor season when it switched to uh field which that year was in early june uh, as soon as it started warming up a little bit i was switching my gear out to a, a field setup and, and practicing field in the backyard um, going to any club that had a field tournament that i could find um, and then that continued right into um outdoor target i was you know i'm very blessed to have a range in my backyard I can shoot out to 50 meters or actually you can shoot out to 70 meters in my backyard so uh, you know I just kept right on going that year and it wasn't until you know sometime in 2019 that I started to basically pay for it with uh, some shoulder issues you know yeah well it's a mindset you know up until that point of course but it is a mindset it's a mindset you know you 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 have to have the mindset that you're you are prepared to do anything and everything and that you are there to win like oh and and i wanted to mention this and, and i we i left the thoughts keep going i'm going to go back to about taking a day off i started coaching spanky brooks and we're working together to try to change his approach he's recovering from a shoulder surgery and he was shooting 100 to 100 air 100 to 200 arrows a day five six days a week and i said mm -hmm. spanky i said that's too much uh, you know, maybe in some people it's not, but I said, you know, in not so many words, it was like, you're not a spring chicken anymore. One, two, recovery 
and rest are as important as the volume. So you have, you have to be able to shoot at your peak when it comes to a tournament. And your peak isn't driven by the volume of arrows. It's driven by the health of your body and, and, and your brain. Because, and giving your brain that rest, even if it's, you know, if you're shooting really, really, really well and deep down inside, you want to keep shooting, but you are forcing yourself to take a day or two off, say it's just the last week or something. You're now going into that tournament at the peak of your game shooting really well and more importantly you're motivated because you cannot wait to pull back your bow and shoot again having that mental drive going into a tournament is as important as the volume of arrows that you shot two three four five weeks prior and you know, sometimes it works in where you can just shoot, 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 shoot 300 arrows the day before and you're, you're fine. But what, in my opinion, what happens when we do that, if we're not truly prepared and we shoot all of those extra arrows, you're going to run out of steam and composure sooner or later when it matters most. Mm -hmm. That's what I find. That's what I think. That's, that's from my experience and from watching you know, how people prepare and talking to people and, and coaching and stuff like that. Like that's, that, that's what I see most often, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody. And I, and I also want to go back um, and, and talk about when you were talking, when you were explaining about like shooting alone at Ephrata and standing up there and how you sort of like, right now I'm looking at the blur of your zoom screen. You have the blurred background, right? Mm -hmm. that is a perfect what's the word metaphor i guess it would be but a visual of what you need to do when you're standing in eliminations brackets or up on the platform at the classic that blur represents everything outside of of what's actually happening between you standing at the shooting line on that platform um and the target downrange. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, and I, the way I describe it to like when I do the clinics or the seminars is that, you know, and it's actually some, uh, it's something that I came up with in high school um, when I did a paper on shooting free throws during a, a varsity basketball game that I, I, I would put myself in um, a big, huge warehouse, ironically, similar to the way the shoot ups are at the classic, a big, huge warehouse where it's pitch black everywhere except for the shooting line and the target that's where I, that's where i want to shoot my arrows all of the time qualifications practice shoot ups that's where i want to that's where i want my mindset to be so i am focused only on that one thing which means you need to become proficient at ignoring the other stuff but i think that's where people you know they get so caught up on wanting to shoot good but not doing the things that it requires us to shoot good yeah i i think that's a an excellent point uh, you have to really separate yourself from your environment to shoot at your highest level yeah. and um that's hard to do um you know we're all human and, and we tend to be affected in different ways and on different occasions um, and then there's another aspect to that blur that you're talking about, that, that focus. 
of separating yourself from every, your surroundings. It's also up here that separating your mental focus from any mental distractions that you have, creating that blur in your mind so that, I mean, the best practice sessions I have is when I can feel completely relaxed about my opportunity to shoot arrows yeah. and forget about everything else that's going on in my life if I have that, and it doesn't happen very often, you know, because there's, we always have something going on that's important. But um, when you feel like, you know, you've set aside some time to go practice and you can concentrate on nothing else but shooting arrows and enjoying it and practicing and improving your, your game, that's when you tend to have your best practice sessions. And um, I guess it also helps to on the days when you're struggling with your focus to be able to get over that hump as well and realize like there have been times when um i think a particular about a particular part of my execution instead of what my final thought should be as i'm releasing the arrow it's on on a previous part of my execution you know everybody's different and that's happened to me with my mental approach but I recall uh, in a recent practice session where I'm releasing the arrow and I, I didn't like my release very much. I came away from my face a little bit. And um, so I'm coaching myself silently, talking to myself and saying, better release, next arrow, better release. And uh, when I'm at my highest level, all I'm really doing is focusing my eyes on the target not even on the arrow, but focusing my eyes on the target and everything is, is, is being executed well. And the, the, arrow, the bow and the arrow come up right where they where it should be and uh, everything goes well and you can just visualize the arrow leaving your bow and in a nice shallow arc into the center of the target. And on one occasion, not too long ago, I didn't like the release and my last thought as I was releasing the string was that release. So my mind was back here instead of on the target. And it was, the second shot was not good. Um, and then I realized what I had done. I had taken my mind off where it should be as I'm releasing that arrow and putting it somewhere else. And um, I said to myself, all right, when you are about to release that arrow, think 10 ring. 10 ring. Think that when you're about to release the arrow. And I forgot about all the other physical parts of my execution, you know, the, the, the push towards the target, the release staying in nice and tight and close to your face, uh, the, you know, the follow through on both ends. I forgot about all that stuff, the, the stance, the head, yeah. all of my subconscious. My only thought as I'm releasing an arrow was on the 10 ring and darn if that third arrow did go right in the middle of the target. And it was just a lesson a self-taught lesson that the, the the mental part of the game that blur that we were alluding to sure has got to be there mentally as well you've got to just figure out where you need to be mentally to execute your shot and be in the right place at the right time with your focus you know yeah well, that's great that's good stuff man i mean that's just so so what's that I said, I hope it's good stuff. <laughs> oh, it's, that's great stuff. It's, it's it. I mean, is you're focusing on that finished position, meanwhile concentrating on the middle of the target. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I say it all the time. People people get so caught up in aiming that they 
they will they think that they're looking at the target and they're looking at the target, but their peripheral, they're still concentrating on the tip of the arrow instead of letting concentrating less on the aim, hold the position and focus on finishing the shot and not, you know, and, and I think it, it depends on what your mental, and we'll call it a mantra for lack of a better word. Cause no. sometimes, you know, mantras are always referred to as verbal, but I'm like, it's like a physical mantra. Where do I want my finished position to be? how do I get there? And then more importantly, how do you train it? You know, and that's, that's, that's a different episode and a different topic, but, you know, but you have to know what that finished position is and repeat that position every time. Mm -hmm. If you're focused on the tip of the arrow, you're not going to be able to do that because you're going to get stuck or, you know, you're going to let you, it's going to, you're going to, you're going to move it to the middle. And as you move the tip of the arrow to the middle, you're going to keep moving through that as you're letting go and you're just timing the release with where the aim gets somewhere close to the middle. And I'm not saying you can't shoot good shots that way. I, I know people I've shot good shots. I've shot five forties with little mini drive bys, you know, but you really got to work hard and you really got to concentrate, you know, it's not easy to do. Um, but it's hard to be super consistent that way too. But um, so you um, want, go ahead. When you put the work into it, yeah, those drive-bys end up with in the in the yellow, right? Right. You know, yeah. you realize that when you release the shot, that it wasn't your best shot in the world. But yeah. those, you know, if you put the effort into it, and yeah. practice, 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 and enjoy it, you know, those drive-by, you know, it happens to all of us. You, you just okay. don't execute every shot perfectly, and. Yep. And uh, but the the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, and the more arrows go into, if not in the ten ring, close to it because you didn't execute your shot perfectly, but it's still at a higher level than it would have been if you weren't putting some effort into it. You know, sure. yeah. So you won a 2018 classic. Denver was your last match, right? Denver was the last match. Yeah, yeah. And you know it was. Um, an uncomfortable environment to have the cameras and lights and all that and the stage and the audience. But after a while, you, you know, after you've been there for a little bit, um, they kind of go away having the, yeah, having the opportunity to come in and face Bobby Worthington and face Dwayne Martin before I have to face John Denmer allowed me to, you know, I wouldn't say I was relaxed, completely relaxed. I was still nervous, but I was, uh, my confidence level was going up and up and up. And I was being able to visualize the arrow going in the center, same as it did at Ephrata in my practice sessions. I could visualize that happening at the stage and at the classic. Um, and, you know, I shot quite a bit at uh, Lancaster Archery in those days. They have um, an indoor, they have leagues all year long. And, yeah. I shot um, an indoor league there and had a lot of fun doing that. And so I saw Rob Caulfield pretty often in those days. And so it was, you know, kind of comforting to have him and John Wirt, you know, running the show there. Um, Absolutely. A couple of friends, you, you, know. you weren't working at Lancaster at that time, at that point, were you? No, I wasn't at that point. I uh, did later in the year. Uh, I think it was... September, October timeframe uh, that I expressed interest in coaching at yeah. their academy. 
and uh, found out the hard way how hard they work there. <laughs> My goodness, they uh, uh, if, if anyone asked me if it's a good place to get started, I would, without hesitation, say absolutely. Uh, Heather File and Brian Brady and others there, uh, they work very hard and they, they do a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching classes of all levels. And I mean, they're on their feet for long days on okay. the, you know, that concrete floor. And uh, at my age and the condition of my knees, having played sports all my life, the knees weren't in good enough condition to hold up under that rigor. And so um, I had to cut it off after about six weeks of, of coaching there. And I enjoyed it quite a bit, but um, I just realized that I, physically it was wearing me down too much. Sure. Yeah. But it was a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Rob's a good guy. Heather and Brian are, yeah, when I first started coaching back in, I think it was 2014, 15, um, on a serious level, um, you know, Brian and Heather were sort of my go-tos to reach out to the, them and Larry Wise. They, you know, Larry's the one I ended up teaching me um, as my level three. And then, um, but, you know, when it came to Olympic recurve, Brian um, was sort of my go-to, um, Heather too, a little bit, mostly Brian though. Um, and then Brian and I ended up becoming competitors and then, you know, friends through that journey and stuff. And yeah, they're, they're absolutely amazing people, amazing facility. Mm -hmm. Um, you literally have access to anything and everything you could possibly need. <laughs> we all go there, <laughs> um, you know, and, and obviously look at Heather's, um, you know, more so on the Olympic recurve side of things and the Verbo, but like, look at her success with Casey and, and some of the youth shooters that come through there. Um, you know, uh, Samantha Ensign, um, Scott Rissinger works with, um, um, oh my goodness, Jeff. Alyssa Arts. Uh, yes. Alyssa Arts. Yeah. Um, you know, but she also shoots at Lancaster as well. So, you know, there's, there's, there's just absolute talent being built and generated out of that program for compound yeah. and Olympic recurve mm -hmm. um, without yeah. a doubt. And they have, you know, the, the league is fun there. They, they only shoot a 300. I wish it was a 600, but, um, you know, under the time constraints that they have, I can understand. Yeah. And um, I had a lot of fun shooting their league, league there. Um, it just lots of laughing. And um, I remember um, I was shooting when I was still shooting those, X7 aluminum arrows. They have a, uh, a a beam right above the uh, the targets, but yeah, it's yeah. carpeted. Yep. It's right above the targets, and uh, I let one get away from me one time, and uh, with one of those X7 aluminum arrows, and it hit that beam, and it didn't stick in far enough to go straight in. It just stuck, and yeah. then flopped down. <laughs> So now the arrow is hanging over my target and um, I'm having so much fun laughing and carrying on with my friends. And I said, well, watch, watch this. I bet I hit my arrow on my next shot. And sure enough, I shot my arrow <laughs> and put a dent in the arrow and everything. And, and we were all laughing. We had so many good times shooting the league there. I brought a, uh, an English longbow there once to, to show off and, and Rob uh, saw it and said, 
is that a Bickerstaff? I said, yeah, it is. I don't know how he recognized it from afar, but he did somehow. And he shot it, you know, he said, you want to give it a try? And he shot it and we just had so much fun shooting there. And um, so, you know, getting out there on the stage at Lancaster Archery to, to see Rob Caulfield and John Wirtz standing there, it was, you know, a plus for me. Oh yeah, sure. definitely, a, definitely a comforting, uh, comforting situation actually in some ways. Yeah, as much yeah. as it can be under those circumstances. Oh, absolutely. You sort of manifested your future, my man. You, you really did. You know that you, yeah. it's 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 a it's it's a legendary story in in barebow archery, and people don't know. It. And I'm not trying to like fluff, fluff you full of sunshine, you know, but but it like it really is. And I knew. I didn't even know all those. I knew bits and pieces, but I didn't know all of the story. And um, you know, it paints a picture of what it requires to to put yourself in that situation. You know, you can't experience magnificent yeah. things if you're not going to put yourself in in magnificent situations. And sometimes that takes a magnificent amount of work. And you did it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Frank. It, it, it takes some drive on the part of the archer and it also certainly is um, very beneficial to have good coaching. So, you know, uh, Frank, I know that you're helping the Barabelle community quite a bit as well as other divisions, I'm sure, but uh, at Grass Hollow Archery um, and, you know, the, the I, and as I mentioned before, you've helped me in the past. You know, when we were shooting together, um, you, you mentioned that uh, my timing seemed to be a little bit erratic at one point. And I told you about how I took that into consideration and slowed myself down a little bit and shot a whole lot better on the second half of the tournament than I did on the first half. I think that was at Archery Addictions. And so, you know, people such as yourself helping out make a world of difference. It really does. You know, so I had help getting started from Lancaster Archery at, uh, with, from John Wirt and Sean Snyder. And um, along the way at these um, invitationals in the Penn Dutch League from Scott Rissinger. And uh, so just, you know, helping with your equipment, helping with your form. Uh, if you can shoot with uh, other people in tournaments and get used to shooting on the line, um, and just staying involved, staying active. It's, it's, um, it's a big, it's a big step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And, and thank you, Rich. It's, it's about taking the information that's available and shortening, shortening that journey for barebow archers. Um, cause it's just going to help our sport grow more. You know, if you can, if you can put the information out there for people to get better at barebow archery, then barebow archery is going to grow. And, and, you know, and that's, that's what the Barebow, that's why the Barebow project started was to, you know, I, I immediately fell in love with it. And I was like, man, there's, there's gotta be more to this. There's gotta be more information. There's gotta be somewhere. And there wasn't, that's what I was looking for. There was nowhere to, to say like, well, why am I getting stuck below the gold? you know, people don't real. And then I started seeing videos and people talk about it. Like, Oh, it feels like can't. I was seeing it in compound and Olympic recap. I can't lift my arm. I can't lift my arm. It feels like there's a weight on it. I'm like, what? there's no weight on it. You should just be able to go put it right there. Right. Uh -huh. And then, you know, through education and experience and training and interviewing people like yourself, you know, and Eric Johnson and John Dillinger and Demmer and Grayson, and just the plethora 
of, of top shooters. And then you take that information and you just extrapolate it. Is that the right word? I think that's the right word. And just take it and put it all in one, one knowledge base and then say, take the best from all of it and then try to learn from it. You know, and in some ways, you know, Maggie's a little bit of, she's, she's, she's had an amazing journey, you know, and it could have easily gone the other direction. Maggie is a manifestation of trial and error in some way. She was like the Petri dish of talking and working with all these other people to develop the drills and the program and the things that help fix the problems. And then people in the bareboat community, Maggie would come up against, you know, say a, a, a hurdle and we would, we would address that hurdle. And then that information, like some of my vlogs on the bareboat project YouTube page are an exact response to what we did to help get Maggie through a situation, you know, and that you can see in the confidence, like, and, you know, for a 16 year old kid to shoot with the confidence that she does, it's not really a surprise because she's, she's had access to the information. You had access to people and information, help with tuning, help with coaching, help with shooting, access to Demer, you know, Demer going out of his way to come, you know, 16 lanes over across halfway across the shoot to say hey rich how's it going what you doing you know you're hitting low on those bad shots maybe you need to maybe you need to switch things up mm -hmm. you know having that access to information is what's going to make barebow better it's what's going to grow all of barebow and of course i you know i've said this before on the podcast i love our friends across the pond but i really want to see american barebow go up you know and yeah there's no better way to do that than to talk to people like yourself, pull that information, make it available for the masses and then say, here people like, this is what's working. Go do this. And that's, that's, that's what the goal is. Right. You know, but it's tough. It's, it's a tough journey, man. There's days where, man, I got so much going on. I mean, I'm sitting at the firehouse right now. Obviously that call didn't come in. Um, but it's, there's days where I just want to like throw my hands in and be like, ah, you know what I mean? Is I don't think people appreciate that, but you know, it is what it is. I, 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 I made my bed. I'll lay in it. Yeah. I, um, I, I applaud your efforts because you have a lot going on and to be able to uh, keep grass hollow archery going the way you are and, and turn out some good shooters i mean maggie is very impressive she's uh she's very consistent you know she's always um shooting a at least a decent score if not a really good score and uh, it's great to see her do so well and, and you mentioned um you know samantha ensign she broke a record at grass hollow archery a couple yeah, weeks ago yeah. right uh, it's just so good to see, and um, I really appreciate all the help that I've received over the years from John Demmer and from Lancaster Archery and from yourself, Frank. And um, I uh, also thought it would be nice to congratulate all of those who made the 2022 U.S. Archery team. That's awesome. Just announced. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. It really is. See some new names up there and. You know, that's a that's a lot of dedication traveling all those tournaments and stuff like mm -hmm. that. 
um you know and it's exciting to see what happens now as we move forward into this new year and and the, the usats and some of this new opportunity for barebo so that's good stuff too and then so i guess you know where we go from here rich is is we're gonna we're gonna close this one out and then we're gonna record again but this next one's gonna be a little bit of a different approach because we're gonna talk about post lancaster archery classic and you know struggling through some of like the shoulder stuff and you know maybe just some mindset stuff too i think so rich i'm gonna i'm gonna be i'm gonna play a little little future teller here and i think that you rehashing all of this is going to have a major positive effect on you now moving forward as we go toward the classic Oh, I hope so. I think it is. You're always a good shooter. I'm not, but I think that, you know, we talk about the mindset and I could hear it and see it in your, in your demeanor as you were going through it, mm-hmm. that that mindset is still there and that you haven't had, you haven't been exposed to the environment where you had to draw or pull that mindset out of you mm-hmm. a while. And I think that that you got a little bit of a taste of that over the last hour or whatever it's been that we've been recording because I could see it. I, I could see it and hear it in your voice. So I'm just going to, I was going to, I'm just going to say, I'm going to put it out there. I, you know, I think that, I think that, um, you know, minus, you know, any, you know, shoulder issues or stuff. Cause I know, you know, it's tough at times and, you know, but I don't know if you necessarily have the five, six days a week to shoot right now, but, you know, or, or, or the capacity to do that physically, but still think it's, it doesn't matter. It's still there. That, that foundation is there and that foundation doesn't go away. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm finding out that shooting every day doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> physically speaking, it's just yeah. too much on my shoulder, but they, uh, that next time around, that should be an interesting conversation because um, there were some differences um before and after the, the classic for sure that i can talk about yeah and that's that's what we want we want because there's going to be younger competitors that maybe are still in the beginning that like like robbie weisinger who is now currently the no, no, number one listed player uh, um shooter for our usat he was awarded one of the, the top three spots you know but robbie's a young guy and has only been shooting barebow for i want to say he's messed around with it for a little over a year two years two years how about that you know so yeah. you know and, and early on again robbie reached out to demer reached out to me we you know there was there's a lot of communication back and forth but you know he was a collegiate shooter you know he, he's very athletic you know so hopefully your story now also moving forward it it helps guys like him or maybe some other leo patterson another young guy shoots real real well from uh sweden and you know that people can hear that full the full disclosure all of it so that maybe they can learn from it these younger generations coming through and you know hopefully we 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 help somebody along the way so all right well, that's it, sir. Thank you for the awesome, awesome. My pleasure, Frank. Thank can't, you. I can't wait to uh, to run into you. I guess maybe I'll see you on the second. Are you coming up to our, our uh, FIDA again? I, I think we have something going on that day, but I'm going to try to make it up if I can. I not uh, There's a lot going on that weekend with 
Okay. Uh, all right. New Year's celebration. Uh, well, I mean, it's going to be a good time. There's all kinds of faces coming to shoot. So like Demer's going to be there. Zernzak's going to be there. Grayson is toying around with the idea coming. There's going to be some, there's going to be some, I'm sure there's going to be some shit talking, but I'm, there's going to be some solid shooting going on. So yeah. good environment to be in the middle of. If, I'd love to come up. Yeah, I understand. And anybody else out there that wants to come, wants to go check it out, you know, it's yeah. going to be, uh, it's going to be a good, a good time. So a quick, right. a quick, a quick short story about Grayson. Um, I shot the classic 2019 and he was on the target butt to my left. He wasn't on my target, but he wasn't scoring with me. He was on the target butt to my left. And he was on the right edge of the target butt on my left. And I was on the left edge of the target of my target butt. And for some reason that day, I was shooting a lot of liners and that we had to look in close to, to see what the score was. And just about every time that happened, Grayson would come over from his target butt over to mine and stick his head in there and said, and he would count that as the next higher score. You know, if it was an eight, nine liner, he would say, that's a nine. If it was a nine, 10 liner, he'd say, that's a 10. <laughs> he came over every time. That, that sounds like Grayson. Yeah. Now, if it was me, it would be the opposite. He would like, <laughs> it's an eight, nine line. He'd call it a seven. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the friendship that we have, whether, whether uh, he cares to admit it or not. We bust on each other a lot, the three of us. Um, but it's it's all in jest and it's fun. And it's one of the things that I love about our community. Um, just the same, you know, you gotta you gotta have a thick skin. Um not in, in many fashions, not not just as a person who happens to be the figurehead of a podcast, you know, you have to have a, a thick skin when you're shooting and in competition. And you have to have a thick skin around the Bearbell crew because we have a tendency to get a little rowdy, but where it should be. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for watching and listening. If you're still with us, um, it was quite the long one and rich. It was a pleasure. Once again, I can't wait to do part three. Um, and I, you know, I can't wait to, to see you again and, and, and hang out and shoot. Um, you're uh, you're an ambassador to Barabow, and it's nice to bring the bear the, the Barker episodes out because um, you know you're kind of removed from social media and you're removed from all that stuff, and people need to hear from you and they need to hear your story. So, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Frank, for what all you're right. doing for all of us as well. Absolutely, you're very welcome. All right, everyone, that's it. Go go do your what you're supposed to be doing instead of listening to us. And uh, thank you so much for all of your support as well. We'll see you guys later. Peace out.